I don't consider myself to be a particularly superstitious person. That is to say, I get the occasional kick out of the horoscope, and my boyfriend and I like to humor the idea that spirits and poltergeists exist. We even joke about how we'd haunt people when we died and came back as ghosts. In fact, my boyfriend refuses to go anywhere near a Ouija board. He refuses to even think of it. Why even tempt it? He'd say. Why would you want to taunt evil ghosts like that? Ghosts never play fair, and if you piss one off, you're screwed. I don't think he was ever serious. Just precautionary. But maybe he was right. God, this all happened so recently. I'm still shaken. I can barely write about it now without my nerves acting up. Okay. Here it goes. A few weeks ago, my mom, sister, and I went to Colorado for an entire week of vacation. We were going to drive all over the state, visit the national parks, and go horseback riding and whitewater rafting and so much more. I was excited, and I sorely needed a break from work anyway. We drove a grueling 16 hours out there and spent our first day rafting down the rivers. After an extremely wet but exhilarating day, we drove to a ranch house to go horseback riding. We arrived at sunset, so it was too late to do anything, but we had all next day to ride the trails and see the sights. The ranch was dumpy, to put it nicely. It was all run down with scraps of steel everywhere, and the shoddy log cabins were in desperate need of repair. I swear the roof over our shack of a cabin was a giant piece of drywall with shingles stapled to the top. My sister and I thoroughly checked the place for spiders and bugs before we even thought to bring our luggage inside. It was only for the night, I reassured myself. Just one night in a dumpy shack on a rock-hard bed that probably had bed bugs under the sheets. I shuddered at the thought. My mom tried to cheer us up. She had brought skewers and a pack of hot dogs to roast over the communal fire pit. Happy to get out of the shack, my sister and I made a nice cozy fire. And soon, a few other visitors came out to sit around the fire and roast s'mores and share stories. We talked about where we were from, where we were going, and all our adventures along the way. Pretty soon, the stories turned to tall tales and urban legends, and the sort of stuff you'd usually tell around a bonfire. That's when I spoke up. I loved stories, especially scary ones. And hey, we're out west. We're in Native American territory. Why not liven the place up with my favorite local myth? The legend of the skinwalkers. Now, for the uninitiated, skinwalkers are very evil, very dangerous beings. They were humans who gained the ability to take on the form of an animal by wearing its pelt usually through very dark and taboo magic. I knew all this and told my story. Who doesn't love a good ghost story, after all? Everyone seems to be enjoying it. I admit I took some creative liberties, really just retold an old werewolf story, but with a skinwalker as the monster instead. I improvised a lot of the story and added a few things that weren't in the mythos at all. I gave our beloved frightening skinwalker wide, crazed eyes with pinpoints for pupils with a matching, insane smile. 
I made the skinwalker horribly misshapen, swollen joints and arms that were too long and legs that were too short and a head that never sat straight on its shoulders. I made it as terrifying as I could imagine. No one minded. They actually really liked it. A man from Kentucky admitted the visuals alone were enough to creep him out. Victory in my book, if you ask me. And once I was done, everyone decided it was getting really late. Our firewood was dwindling, and it was as good a time as any to turn in for the night. We packed up our skewers and s'mores, doused the fire, and headed to our little shacks. I tossed and turned a lot, trying to fall asleep. I couldn't get comfortable in that damn bed. A rock was probably cozier than that mattress. So against my better judgments, I got out of bed and walked about the cabin. I reasoned that if I stayed up late enough, I would be so tired that I would fall asleep no matter what I was laying on. I think I briefly contemplated sleeping on the floor, but I wasn't that desperate yet. It was pitch black outside. No lights from any nearby street lamps. No car headlights. Hell, not even the cabin lights were on. And I don't remember seeing a single star. It was a bit creepy, but... I shrugged off the shiver creeping up my back as simply the cold tile floor beneath my feet. I did, however, find it odd there weren't any lights on at all on the property. You'd think there'd be a floodlight on the horse stables or in the main office, but no, nothing. That was really weird. I stepped outside of my flimsy foam flip-flops to get a better look. I could barely make out the ranch and for some stupid reason I decided to go walking around. Eventually, my eyes adjusted where I could see well enough to navigate. I paced up and down the road where the cabin sat and then circled around to the fenced-in field where the horses were grazing. Except there weren't any horses. Probably in the stables for the night, I reasoned. I shivered again. It was getting cold. I turned around to head back to my own cabin. It was stupid of me to be out all alone at an obscene hour, I had realized. I needed to get to bed. But when I turned, there was something in the middle of the road. Its shape was swallowed up by the surrounding darkness. I could barely make it out. But whatever it was, it was tall and thin. I shrugged it off as just a pole or something else and kept walking. But then it moved. I froze. My breath caught in my throat and I could barely breathe. I just imagined that, I said. I just imagined it. I'm freaking myself out. Get your fucking head on straight. It moved again. My paralyzed throat managed to squeak out a pathetically weak whimper as my legs began to lose strength. I shivered violently against a cold that was building up inside of me. My eyes began to focus on the impossibly dark figure standing against a barely visible sleet gray night. Now I could see it. It was a person, but like nothing I had ever seen before. Its arms were impossibly long, its legs impossibly short. It had a torso far too long for its rail-thin body, and a head much too big for its pencil-thin neck. Its right arm was sticking out to its side, swinging up and down, its blockish head rolled onto its left shoulder, jerkily twitched up and down, up and down, 
It didn't move other than that. Just stood there, twitching arms, jerking up and down, head lolling around its shoulder. I still stood there like the dumb fuck I was. My cabin was a few hundred yards behind that... that thing. And I wasn't so stupid as to try to walk past it. My only option was to go around, behind the cabins and the stables, and hope it didn't see me. I forced myself to lift my foot off the ground to step backwards. My flip-flop made a loud, wet, smacking sound as it cracked against my foot, and I immediately froze in horror. The thing stopped, too. It stood there, perfectly straight, perfectly still, listening. I stayed as still as I could. My breath was shallow and panicked as I tried to force myself to slow my breathing before I started wheezing. My heart thundered in my chest. My whole body was shaking. But I didn't move. Neither did it. I began to slowly, so goddamn slowly, bend over and slipped my feet out of those fucking flip-flops. My feet touched the dirt and the crumbly gravel, but at least now I could move silently. I spared a quick glance to the side to see where I was going. Two cabins were immediately to my right. I could slip between them with ease, disappearing out of sight. I only looked away for a second. When I turned back, that fucking thing was gone. It was fucking gone. It fucking knew I was there, and it was coming for me. Yet I still couldn't move. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move no matter how loud my head screamed to run. I heard something behind me. I turned instinctively. Even though I knew better, I still turned around. I was greeted with two bulging eyes. Oh fuck, it's eyes. Staring at me, unblinking with two black pinholes for pupils, and an insane smile that was stretched far too wide to be anything remotely human. My paralysis broke as I stared at that thing. I ran, crying my eyes out, trying to scream, but a horrible lead weight in my throat silenced me. My feet pounded on the dirt. I stomped over anything in my way. I trembled over a jagged rock, slicing my foot open. I ignored the pain. I ignored my body screaming in agony. I ignored my own blood pouring from the wound. I didn't care. I just ran. I felt the cold creeping up my back. Oh god, that cold. It was sinking right into my bones. I couldn't stop shaking or sobbing and I didn't stop running until I burst into the cabin. I slammed the door shut, deadbolted the lock, and leapt into my bed. I huddled under the blankets, hiding my head. And there I gasped and shook for breath. And I waited. I didn't sleep that entire night. I was too scared. I couldn't get rid of that chill. All I thought about was that thing, standing there and twitching. Morning finally broke, and I finally allowed a breath of relief. Whatever I had seen had not come for me, and now that it was light, it could no longer take me by surprise. My mom noticed my bleeding foot and the blood I tracked through the cabin. I shrugged it off, said I cut myself the night before when I was making s'mores. I don't think she believed me, but she didn't push it. We left not long after that, and as we left, I looked at the place where that thing once stood, 
and I shuddered again. But there was nothing. I assured myself there was nothing. We said goodbye to the ranchers and to our companions, and I noticed the man from Kentucky, who said he had thoroughly enjoyed my story. He told me again about how much he liked it, said he was going to tell it to his own kids when he got home. They really liked scary stories, he said. And as we drove away, his head rolled onto his left shoulder, and he smiled a wide, insane smile as he waved us goodbye. I tried to jot down all the explanations that came to my mind last night, and rereading it made me realize it was oddly difficult for others to understand. So perhaps this time I would start the story way back when I was first born and work my story up to now as a not-so-human human. I am a skinwalker, or I figure that's what I'm called. Yeah, that scary folklore kind of skinwalker. First, let's clarify. No, we are not dogs with no tails or guys who walk on all fours. We are not witches. We are not once-human either. What you have read and watched online are lies, adaptations, and exaggerated versions of the skinwalkers during our early stage of development. Think of a toddler learning to walk and talk. Being a dog, a fish, a deer, a bird, half a bird, or even the first few humans was our toddler phase. We were learning to mimic. I was born a spherical, fleshy core the size of a pea with an eye, a tail, and a mouth. A round red lump of tadpole-red meat creature capable of seeing, eating, and doing some extraordinary things to survive. It is hard to have one word that describes what skinwalkers do as infants. In fact, I don't think we even have a word for that. So I will try to break it down so everyone can understand the step-by-step process of us growing up. As a baby, I was durable and animalistic. I had a strong tail that allowed me to spring and jump like crickets, but it was instinct not to jump, as it requires energy to do so. And as a newborn, you don't have the luxury of carbs. We were vicious, opportunistic hunters, and we had our foul odor to attract the first prey. Unlike other tadpoles, who started underwater and preyed on fish, I started alone on land probably because of my parents' choice of birthing location. My first prey was a bear cub during warmer season, which I was very proud of. It sounds way cooler to hunt a bear than a fish. I jumped into its nostril as it was sniffing me, then I wriggled my way up to the brain area. There, instinct told me to do three things. Eat, copy, replace. I feasted on a small portion of the brain and quickly fell asleep. When I woke up, my first thin layer of protection had already coated my red skinless self, as if the resting time was my body breaking down the structure and chemicals of what I just consumed. It automatically made an exact copy of said portion. There I had my first apartment inside a bear cub whose brain I gradually ate and replicated until 
One day, I was completely able to control its limbs. Although imitating the movements of other bears was awkward and proven to be an ugly task, the outer layer of myself at this portion was the exact size of the bear's real and no longer existing brain. While my real self, the red tadpole that I was, with an eye and a mouth, was resting peacefully inside like a snail. Except the fact that I have two shells when you think of it. The bear body itself and the layer I made that looked and functioned like a bear brain. The bear's head at that point was hollow without me. Soon I learned to behave and hunt salmon like other bears, and soon I learned to shrink and expand my brain shell. Then I learned how to temporarily travel outside of that shell. I would shrink my real body, open a small hole of this brain, and venture south to feast on the spinal bone marrow. It took me days to finally eat all of them and come back up top. Although I was very young, my dexterity allowed me to glue the brain shell to the fake spinal cord that I just made. Soon I realized I no longer had to venture out and use my real mouth to eat. I can consume the bones, muscles, and veins of the bear as long as it touches my outer layer, the fake brain and the fake spinal cord. However, the indirect eating process is significantly slower than eating with my mouth, as the enzymes my shell produced were not as concentrated. I gradually ate and faked the bear inside out, and then I learned to soften and harden my bear shell so I could shrink even more to the point it felt like it was but a thin layer of meat wrapping around my tadpole core. I ate and cloned all the bones and muscles of the bear, but left the fat and the skin as it was nasty to consume. Had I shrunk my shell and left the bear there, it would have been nothing but its skin on the ground. Imagine a skinless, fatless, adult brown bear walking around, or half of that imagery walking around. The tales of skinwalkers being dogs with no lower half, a deer with no tail, Humans who walk on fours probably stemmed from there. People saw our very first attempts to mimic living creatures, and we weren't so masterful at digesting. Again, we were toddlers. I didn't leave the bear and venture out as a skinless monstrosity, though. I lived in my comfortable home for a long while, until one day I smacked a domestic dog unconscious at night. I shrank all of myself as much as possible and left the deflated bear via its mouth. I grew from the size of a pea to a kidney bean before I left. I then wriggled my way to the dog's brain through its mouth. There I ate the brain within hours of the night. However, in the middle of my feasting I poured in a new experience. I'd call it not food related good memories. At first it was foreign and shocking to me, for I ate the bear's brain since it was a young cub. My entire memory as the bear was simply the joy of me eating salmon and berries, but when I was in this dog it was something else. Joy and happiness that weren't associated with food, but with a foreign creature that was significantly taller than me. And in the dog's memories the creature was always showing its teeth, as if it was trying to eat the dog. 
I learned that showing teeth means aggression behavior back when I was a bear, because that was what older bears did. They tried to scare each other with their teeth. I thought this creature, uh, the human, was trying to eat me, the dog. But at the same time, the dog itself associated that aggression with joy. As a baby skinwalker, I didn't know shifting from one species to another would be such a challenge. And that was eleven years ago. I'm in a male human host now, and I don't need to eat any more, if at all. I only eat to maintain the host's body. I don't take over people for the sake of comfort eating either. I only eat when I need a new identity. I don't eat their brain completely like I used to do, because doing so will kill the host immediately once I leave them. I learned that the hard way. I often have sex with the next potential host, and while they're sleeping together, I leave the worn-out human for a new journey. And yes, skinwalkers can sense each other. We can also kill if we want to. But challenging mankind is not our interest. We just want to survive and thrive as a species. It's no use trying to irritate the host.